Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Harry Sethi. Three consecutive wins in nine days saw the Reds climb to the top of the Premier League table last weekend, and though a youthful-looking side lost midweek in a dead rubber to Union Saint-Gilles in the Europa League, Klopp's attention is clearly on the run of games ahead, and the arrival of a beleaguered-looking Manchester United this Sunday at Anfield. Joining me as ever on the pod to delve into the turbulent world of Manchester United, where a sense of resignation appears to have engulfed the club and fans of late, following their limp exit from the Champions League last week. I'm delighted to welcome back my friend, Carl Anker, Manchester United correspondent for The Athletic and a regular across Totally Football and Righty's House podcasts. Welcome back, Carl. Good to uh, good to speak with me. We always do this charade whenever we have you on. But yeah, good to speak with you about uh, it's that time of year again. Uh, the nights are drawn in. Uh, it's cold, miserable. Uh, it's Liverpool Man United um, at, at Anfield. Uh, before there's a lot, there's a lot we could go through, uh, and uh, some of these podcasts have been like a bit cathartic over over the, the past few seasons. I think this one's going to be the same, uh, but I did want to ask you if you can <laughs> to, to <laughs> take to take your mind back to you know, obviously happier times and the last season. Uh, United um, obviously finishing a positive season, one trophy, top four finish. Um, Champions League uh, secured um, runners-up, obviously. I think it was in the FA Cup as well. Quarterfinals of the Europa League. Um, 
felt like green shoots of recovery and progress. So I wanted to ask you, when you got to the end of last season, um, how were you feeling about things? And I suppose, what do you think was the work that needed to be done to then build on that? The end of last season, I think the overwhelming feeling from Bezerra Manchester United was, was relief and I would say a little bit of exhaustion. Manchester United played 62 games in 22-23, the most out of any club in Europe's top five leagues because they got to the final League Cup, the FA Cup. They also played that additional round of the Europa League in the playoff against Barcelona mm-hmm. on top of things. Um, so a lot of miles were on the clock. There was a lot of faith in Ten Hag. Ten Hag had a, had a lot of large amount of credit in the bank, which to outsiders seemed quite bizarre. I remember talking to a Newcastle supporting friend before the season started where he asked if if Eric Ten Hag has a mountain title challenge, you think he's under pressure losing his job? And I said, no, not really. Um, and I, this friend remarked, that's absurd. He spent more than 330 million across two summits. Why is he not under pressure to, to mount a title race? Right. And I, I think thing, things are have changed. I'm actually that there's very little appetite to tear it up and start again. And there seems to be an understanding that United aren't quite there yet, but might get there eventually on the Ten Hag. We're talking hmm. now, in December, after 12 defeats in all competitions, which is the same amount Manchester United lost throughout the entirety of those 62 games last season. And, and Ten Hag's lost a lot of that credit in the bank. There, there's there's a lot of questions over whether or not his style of football is compatible with his collection of players. And while I don't think there is an appetite to remove him from a lot of stadium goers, a lot of the, the moderates, as some people like to term them. I do think there's a lot of raised eyebrows and going, how long does this last? How long, how long can you not keep playing this way without any form of change? Cause things are looking quite dreary. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get on to sort of where, where United find themselves at the moment. And, uh, I think, yeah, there's a, listening to a little bit of, uh, I think your conversations about last night's game and, the season in general, it does appear to be this, this obviously this weird situation where there's not much appetite to get rid of the manager and change him, but not necessarily to do with a you know a underlying faith that he's going to turn it around or be the guy, but for other reasons. And we'll come on to talk about uh, those. But end of last season, you say a bit of relief, exhaustion, lots of fixtures played. Uh, be familiar to Liverpool fans of a few seasons beforehand. Of you don't have to play every game. You don't have to. You know you can decide not to do that. Um, and for all the children flying to uh, Union Sangeles uh, for tomorrow evening. Very <laughs> glad <laughs> about that. Um, but you mentioned uh, obviously the, the money that was spent this summer. I suppose that, that was the question I was asking around. Like, yes, relief, yes, exhaustion. But in order to actually give Ten Hag the best opportunity prior to a ball being kicked this season to, to actually progress this United team, where did you think were the obvious areas that needed to be to be addressed, we can talk about the business and, and the players who came in, obviously. But um, yeah, where where were those positions, and did they end up being addressed? So I, th- I think what's interesting is the shortlist of positions changed quite quickly from April onwards. I'd say mm. in April time, it looked as if Manchester United were likely to persist with David De Gea in goal, in goal, and the priority was going to be central midfield and up front. 
striker yeah. was absolutely the priority. Eric Tenog was talking about the need to get play, more for, players in more forward positions as early as January, when it became quite apparent that Vekos was not the required standard. Uh, mm. Vekos was a body, but you needed someone that could offer more. Uh, and when Vekos departed on his loan, the only fit specialised forward, as we should say, was anti Martial. Martial, as Eric Tenog admitted, partly through last season, cannot play three 90 minutes in a week. So if United were going to play Champions League football, then you needed at least one senior striker. Uh, mm-hmm. I think other United fans believe perhaps you needed two bodies in there, just to make sure, because Martial's body can't necessarily... Martial cannot trust his own body, and he plays like he can't trust his own body. Mm-hmm. So striker was number one priority. And then in April, Alessandro Martinez and Rafa Varane got injured. Uh, Manchester United lose 3-0 against Sevilla, away from home. And, and you could see... The, the, the tide turning on David De Gea, which could compound in the FA Cup final, where it became quite apparent that if United were eventually to, to, to push on and become Eric Ten Arctic, there would need to be a change in goal. So those were two, those were two priorities. Goalkeeper in order to shape Manchester United's build up play and then striker in order to put those chances away. Now, the really curious thing about United's transfer some of the transfer window is they got those roles. They, they brought in Andre Nana in goal. They, they brought in Rasmus Holland up front. Mm. And I, I think I remarked, many United fan remarked that when Liverpool were in this back and forth with Chelsea over Moises mm. Caicedo, Manchester United looked to be done. They, they brought in Mason Mount to be their, their new box to box midfielder. Okay. Questions over as to whether or not he could be a box to box midfielder, but they had mm. brought in a central midfield body. They had brought in Andre Nana, who was going to be their new goalkeeper, and they had brought in uh, Rasmus Holland as their striker. So the three major positions were sorted. Uh, and I think more than one United fan went, wow, it's really fun looking at Chelsea and Liverpool punching over their key positions, knowing that our business has been done. Then things changed quite quickly. The Mason Greenwood situation m- made it quite clear that Manchester United perhaps had recognised they needed an additional striker, but rather than try and purchase or get one on loan, their plan was perhaps to bring Mason Green back. Manchester United maintained that the plan was never to bring him back. There was no U-turn, but reporting by Adam Craft and others suggests otherwise. So depending on who you talk to, United are either a striker down in their plans this summer, or this was always the plan. Um, It also became very apparent that Lissandra Martinez might need backup as well, and Casemiro might need a deputy. So, Things rapidly changed, and we saw we saw this on on transfer deadline. Thing. Sofiane Amrabat was brought in on loan as a as a Casemiro deputy, perhaps partner, and, and Sergio Ringon, you know, the third choice left back at Tottenham Hotspur, was brought in because Luke Shaw had an injury as well. So by the time the window closed, there was this idea that there were enough bodies in place, but there are also questions as to how this will work. Two games into the season, it became quite apparent that Mason Mount, Casemiro, and Bruno Fernandes does not make a well-balanced midfield three. Um, and things, the amount of questions around Ten Hag and his approach began to rise. And unfortunately, even in December, I only have a fixed amount of answers I can give you. Yeah, no, I think that's that's the thing that stood out to me. I think you're right. I think as such was the pursuit for a, a number six defensive midfielder from, from Liverpool, from a number of clubs uh, this summer. Once it became clear, uh, obviously, that uh, you know, Jude Bellingham wanted his name up in lights in Madrid, and this, yeah, boy, as he put the, <laughs> uh, the name up in lights in uh, in Madrid, I have to say uh, that yeah, the, the, it became apparent right that the midfield overhaul was needed, and 
yeah, we were looking over at United and think, well, they're done. You know, they got their business done quite early. Um, I, I'm interested in what you think. I mean, Anana like, sort of makes sense to me in terms of uh, Ten Hag's previous work with him. Do you think that the profile of goalkeeper, the deficiencies of De Gea, it makes sense. Like, yeah, square peg, square hole, whatever. Like, um, <laughs> it, it, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Uh, Rasmus Hoyland, I'm a little bit interested in, in terms of, you know, it's clearly a lot of money for a young player, a talent. Um, in terms of the profile of striker that you thought United were going to go after, did he fit that fit that mold as well? That you think, well, this is you know young, room for development, uh, pacey. Um, like, what profile of striker do you think Ten Hag was going to go after, and, and did Hoyland fit the bill? So I, yeah, every every summer or every transfer window, I create this series called Chopping for Ten Hag on the Athletic, where I sort of hmm. say. These are the plays Ten Hag has used on the past. These are press conferences where Ten Hag has been asked about what sort of players he likes. Um, yeah. And then I say, based on that and based on what statistical data I can find across Europe, these are the players that look fit the bill. And, and Hoyland did fit the bill. He, he's, he's six foot, I want to say six foot three. He, he might be six foot one, six foot two. He's, he's tall, Is he's he? broad. He's very, very, very quick. He, he can run a hundred meters in 11 seconds, I believe. There's, there's three or three scenes of him in Serie A. Where in a straight line, he's absolutely devastating. The height and is deceptive. I say he doesn't. He doesn't mm, look six three. But he's wow. got a very interesting. His his body is very interesting in that he's got a long torso but relatively short legs for his height. Mm. Um, but he's got explosive pace and he's a presser. He, he's a very 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 um, diligent presser. So, like you've just described about the the scramble for for a number six that a number of clubs had in Europe. Um, mm. I think there is a, a striker shortage. Everyone now understands that dedicated number nines, not a, a, a Marcus Rashford or a yeah. Kylian Mbappe style inverted forward, but someone who really wants to play as a number nine, a central focal point, who doesn't mind playing with his back towards goal, doesn't mind getting kicked in the shins or have his calves raked by mm. uh, centre forwards. You know, I think there are perhaps at any point in time, there are maybe six clubs in Europe that would be improved by having a 2018 version of Olivier Giroud. Just someone who <laughs> occupy centre backs and then, and then ping the ball near post for whatever wingers they want to, to cut inside and shoot. Um, yeah. so in, in that striker shortage, Rasmus Hoyland became an appealing name. Uh, now we're talking on Wednesday and, and before kickoff uh, on Tuesday in Manchester United. Played Bayern Munich, I heard Paul Scholes say Manchester United, the, the no-brainer signing would have been Harry Kane. Um, and cool. I will tell you that it became apparent as early as April that Manchester United would not be going in for Harry Kane. Or, or they were very wary of getting into a protected transfer soccer with Tottenham Hotspur for Harry Kane. It became very apparent that Daniel Levy was loath to, to negotiate with any other Premier League club. It also became very apparent that if Manchester United or any club wanted to get Harry Kane, you would probably have to pay around about a hundred million pounds to get that deal done. And then on top of that, and this is the thing that I think a number of commentators have often forgot is that Harry Kane would come with very expensive wages. And we're talking right now, Harry Kane is one of the most expensive. He's one of the highest paid players at Bayern Munich and that he comes with certain responsibilities in that Bayern Munich dressing room. Uh, and the player in his thirties who you would sign for, let's say three, four years on north of 200,000 pound a week at a club of Manchester United's very odd, uh, FFP considerations. Harry, a deal for Harry Kane would have been 
prohibitively expensive. Whereas Hoyland, sure. okay, 76 million. It's a lot of money, especially for a 20 year old who had only nine get goals in nine non penalty goals in Serie A last season. But his Ooh. wages compared to Harry Kane's were a lot lower and, and that made that deal more palatable. I also think if you look into other strikers in Europe that made a move, uh, Randall Colo Moani went to PSG, uh, as did Gonzalo Ramos. And while I think both of those players have been very good in the past, it seems PSG are having a while to implement both of them. Gonzalo Ramos plays predominantly in the league and Colo Moani seems to play a lot more in the Champions League. We'll see what's going to happen in the next, I mean, in the next 10 minutes, we'll see PSG starting line up against Newcastle and we'll see what happens there. Mm. So, Ramos, Ramos fit Ten Hag's profile and I watch, sorry, Hoyden fits uh, Ten Hag's profile in that he, he's a good presser. He's very, very quick. He's very strong. Um, Ten Hag in over preseason talked about making Manchester United like the best transition team in the world. And if you want to strike him, he's very good in transition. A player of Hoyden's ilk fits. The question was always, is it wise to have, to go into a season where a 20 year old with, yeah. When a 20-year-old with and picked up a back issue over preseason at Atalanta, is it wise to have that as your primary striker and your only other backup to be Anthony Martial or moving Marcus Rashford to centre forward? Uh, we're, we're talking December and, and now it looks a bit unwise. They probably could have done with another body. Yeah, and I think I suppose it probably gives a little bit more credence to what you're talking about there. That maybe the initial plan, despite obviously uh, the denials that we've heard, but was to, to integrate. Uh, Greenwood, who then departed. And I think like from the outside in, you, you mentioned the way in which the transfer window ends. And okay, the start is quite methodical. You know, you're going, going after these players, these targets, they fit the the remit. Um, Amrabat and then Johnny Evans. I, mean, I, I forget when Johnny Evans came in, actually. but um, Johnny Evans came in quite early, but it was on a short-term contract. So this, this ah, okay. was Darren Fletcher, who's the technical director at Manchester United, informed Eric Ten Hag that Johnny Evans was a free agent. And, hmm. and essentially made it made it clear that Johnny Evans would be of use on a short-term contract for the academy players. Johnny Evans is a consummate professional, very, very hmm. um, well-educated, very well-spoken and a and very good role model. And it initially seemed like the plan was he was going to be a short-term loan over pre-season, perhaps with a window to coaching making or... that deal to coaching. Yeah. What has transpired is he has <laughs> started more games than Rafael Varane. <laughs> since October. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Wow, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't realize it was quite that stark. But now I've, I've, I've seen a lot more of Johnny Evans than I expected to uh, in, <laughs> in the year 2023. So I'm guessing it's also come as a surprise to uh, yeah those at Man United as well. But yeah, I mean beyond the signings, I mean I I was struck by how I felt 
uh, even with the most you know coherent preseason in the world, uh, the best plans that you have going into a season, that these other factors like were to, to my mind anyway, I was like, it's, it seems impossible for that not to undermine some sense of, me- of momentum and harmony going into a season. As we talk about things like you know obviously Greenwood's departure and everything surrounding that. Um, the, the way in which David De Gea's departure obviously eventually uh, came about, which I think, you know, whatever you think of his, his shortcomings as a, a goalkeeper in 2023, I felt was, was fairly, fairly remarkable to, to let someone who won player of the season that many times leave in that way. It's obviously a shame. And then, uh, also the, um, the sort of the exile of, of Jaden Sancho, I suppose, that came. I can't remember when it came now, but it was a few games into the season, wasn't it? Or, After the or, or... defeat to Arsenal, so before before the um, second international break, I want to say. So many of them. Yeah, okay, okay sure. Yes, yeah. I think I remember the the comments online and like the the denial of it being fitness or whatever it might be. But uh, yeah, whatever the reasons behind that, those are three pretty big issues. I mean, uh, d- dealing with one of them uh, going into a season can always cause a bit of disharmony and. All three of them combined, I felt okay. This is gonna, it's, it's, it has the potential to dampen things. Um, and I just wonder, in your opinion, I mean, it's hard to quantify anything like that. We can't find a stat for it, right? But uh, the those off the pitch issues, I suppose. Um, uh, what's your what's your reading of how much that sort of disrupted, you know, the Ten Hag's ability to just focus on you know the next game and. Like the you know, ha- have no distractions. It's hard to say. You know, it's very mm. of these things. It's, it's hard to come up with the, the definitive learnings until the season is finished and, and certain individuals have departed. What we do know is mm. Richard Arnold has given more than one meeting with with staff at Manchester United um, and has fielded questions. Yeah, uh, I, I believe one of the big things has also have been about the the, the potential takeover. Which, potential takeover at the start of the season, which has now been changed to this minority investment from Sir Jim Ratcliffe. Mm. Um, so there's been this long t- standing strategic review. That's been more than a year reviewing things. Um, that's taken a while to, to come to fruition. And, and there's been a number of members of staff at Manchester United that have had questions as to what the future is and, and how Manchester United come to these plans and how they make these plans. In terms of how this affects on-field performance, I can't, again, I can't tell you until certain yeah. individuals tell their side of the story. We will probably never know truly what has happened between Jaden Sancho and Eric Ten Hag until mm. Jaden Sancho chooses to, to speak his truth. Because, yeah. I mean, Eric Ten Hag has spoken his truth and he said he doesn't want to just talk about it. And, and as far as we know, it, a lot of it falls down to an apology. Uh, I spoke an apology between yeah. those two individuals. But, Sancho may come up and say words to the contrary there. Mm-hmm. What I will say is that having watched Manchester United's very first game of the season against Wolverhampton Wanderers, I was very surprised at how bad they were. Okay. So Eric Denhart talked about making United you know, the best transition team in the world. The he, he said he was going to do one thing. The signings he was going to say made relative sense. There were a, a number of question marks over whether Mason Mount was the best player in order to action that. But yeah. such was the good faith or, or credit in the bank Ten Hag had that United fans were largely like, okay, this is what Ten Hag wants to do uh, and this is what happened. And then you watch the games against Wolverhampton Wanderers and went, this is not adding up. Manchester United were frighteningly porous 
in central midfield. Uh, Mason Mount did not play like someone who for the box to box role, but it seemed like someone who wanted to play next to Bruno Fernandes to create sort of four one four one instead of a four three three. And, and Hoyland nursing a back injury couldn't start, so it was it was yeah. Marcus Rashford up front. You know, he won that game through a header from Rafa Varane. You went, okay, you got away with that. Andre Nana very yes. nearly claimed close to giving away a penalty. I believe the referee apologised to Gary O'Neill at full time saying, yeah, I probably yeah. could have given you a penalty for that instant final. The first, the first apology to Wolves this season. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> uh, and then problems got, ex- problems exacerbated against Tottenham Hotspur in the second game of the season. United started very well. First 45 yeah. minutes, very, very good. In the second 45 minutes, they just got completely outplayed. And you rewatch that game and, and the reason they got outplayed was because they're, they're, out of possession plan to, to press Tottenham, you know, their front, United's front three playing a very narrow shape and they press the centre backs and try and block off one area of the field. And Tottenham's moment, okay, well, if we just make our centre backs stand wider, we'll stretch your press and make it easier to pass through you. Yeah. It took 45 minutes of Tottenham Hotspur to figure out how to play against Manchester United. It, that became 20 minutes for Brighton in a, in a, in a following fixture. And then we saw this time and time again where Manchester United will come and have a decent game plan for 40 minutes or 20 minutes or, or perhaps even 30 minutes. And then the opposition will make a small tweak and then find it very easy to play against. And this has become really, really concerned for Manchester United. They're playing in a man-to-man-esque fashion in, up front and in central midfield and teams are finding it very easy to play against. He insists he, he's, he's not doing that right now. I, I've, seen, I've seen comments where he's been asked about this man-to-man approach and he said, well, we don't, we don't play man to man but I mean I've, I've the little I've watched of United that has is the thing that's really struck me I mean I'm a Liverpool fan you know watching Liverpool sides in different iterations yeah from the most sophisticated version of the press we've, we've had to the more rabble like version of the press we've had and uh, when when it is towards the latter just how easy it is for teams to realize oh we can stretch you oh this is not you know you're not going to get close to the ball we'll pass around you we're technically able to do this uh, and you can quickly uh, look a lot worse than perhaps you even are as, the, as some of your parts. And I've, I've been struck by the amount of space uh, teams have seemed to have against United. And for me, yeah, interesting because you mentioned that I think one of, this, one of the narratives of the season with Amrabat coming in has been, yes, the cohesiveness of that midfield, but oh, has you know Casemiro suddenly joined Fabinho in sort of this like mm-hmm. you know sub- steep decline in terms of physical capacity? Uh, do, do you think that that particular decline of a player has, has really caught the team off off guard? I mean, last season he had games where I think there were signals that this this could be could be in the in the future for him. But in other games, you seem to be the glue that held the side together at times. Uh, do, do you think that's his decline in particular has caught the 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 hierarchy off guard? I think so, and also. I mean, I've, I'm talking to you in December, having watched a number of games where Casemiro has not been very good. And yet I yeah. cannot definitively tell you what's why is the claim. You know, the, the pithy glib answer is to say his legs have gone. But I, I'm, I'm not sure that's true. Hmm. To, to, to say someone's legs have gone, it, it implies a diminished physical capacity. Whereas Casemiro is playing with a very different cognitive reading of the game. He's not playing like a defensive midfielder. Now, 
Mm. Last season, he was you know, he was playing a lot of attacking moves. He, he was very very good on transition, and and I think if some if you've only seen Casemiro play in Champions League games, which I'd say myself largely, I haven't watched too many games of Casemiro against the lower half of La Liga. I've mostly seen him in, in playing Clasicos or against Atletico Madrid and, and Champions League yeah. games. Uh, so he he did two or three attacking passes where I was like, oh, I, I didn't know Casemiro could do that. That's quite nice. Whereas this season, it's not simply he's passing like an attacking midfielder, but he's running like one. He, he <laughs> He's ahead of the ball in so many crucial moments. Casemiro, to my mind, is one of the best defensive midfielders at stopping cutbacks, at stopping pullbacks, at understanding when the winger is in a certain area, the back four needs to be in a certain position to, to block off the, the the striker and you as a defensive midfielder need to be stood on the edge of the box to wait for that late runner. And there have been yeah. multiple times this season when Casemiro is not there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you, it's, it's, obviously- not because he, it's not because he is running back and cannot get there in time, but because he's just stood f- far and away yeah. in a way that he... he my friend said it, it feels as if Casemiro not, you know, knocked himself in the head and woke up and thought it was Zico. This was this, uh-huh. this is such a like a dra- dramatic change in how he's playing football, and and that's a concern because while he was fantastic last season, he he, he covered up a lot of cracks for Manchester. Ten Hag's exactly. team had a had a a better foundation or or a structure than parts of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's run at Manchester United, but that foundation relied a lot on the individual qualities of two or three individuals. So last season uh-huh. the plan was. Your out possession plan is to, to, to press man to man. But if you cannot win the ball in, I want to say five seconds, you were supposed to retreat into a compact four, four two. And if you couldn't do that, and then you retreat. Now, the counter pressing element, the win the ball back after you've just lost the ball. I want to say a large percentage of that, 50% of that was done via Casemiro and Lissandra Martinez, those two individuals in particular, because they were very good in their one v one duels. <clears throat> Martinez has come back from his metatarsal injury has, and has not looked the same. We know he was taking painkillers at the start of this season and he's looked heavier. He's looked a, a shadow of his former self. Casemiro has just not looked anywhere near the counter-pressing person he was last season. So your plan to go man-to-man and then drop back into four-four-two, that five-second window is gone. You, United are far worse at winning the ball back up, uh, within five seconds and also how they retreat into that shape is gone because the best person at giving the command saying now we retreat is not doing that anymore for reasons that I still cannot explain yeah it's interesting I'm getting flashbacks I mean the, the flashbacks of Henderson actually last season not the yeah, because he's never been a defensive midfielder but yeah multiple times uh, last season certainly where uh, teams are countering on Liverpool, which they did a lot. And, uh, you know, you're like, oh, where is, where, where is that guy? <laughs> you, see, you just see, you see in the replay and he's like on, on the left wing and you're like, oh, okay. That's, oh, it, again, I think when, when Milner, uh, would be in the mm. field sometimes, I'd see similar from him and go, uh, has someone knocked you on the head, James? I mean, like, <laughs> you're like, you're not getting back. <laughs> so you're not going to get there. And, uh, I think yeah, Liverpool fans who are listening to this will be aware, right, that that um, you, know, you, you talk about the value of being in that position to stop a cutback from being fruitful um, as the final pass. Uh, yeah, been on the wrong end of that with Casemiro many, many times in uh, different <laughs> games against Real Madrid, right? It is amazing how effective that one particular skill can be, as you're saying, papering over cracks 
maybe other people are not in the positions they should be, but his his dependence, also the, the reliability of him being there to squash an otherwise promising attack. Um, yeah, very effective. This is very, why de- very demoralising. This is why Arsenal spent 100 million on, on Declan Rice. Declan Rice. Declan. He will do that. <laughs> phenomenal at that mm. particular skill. He is a phenomenal, he's phenomenal against the tra- defending on the transition. And so many of the top teams, you know, the teams that want to finish in the top four in England and harbour ambitions of getting past the Champions League quarterfinals want to, to commit bodies in front of the ball. You, you, you want to attack not just with yeah. your front three, but also with your fullbacks. Um, and also one of you, one of you, your attacking midfields, which means when you do lose the ball, you are especially vulnerable. You probably only have three men back. So one of your three men mm. has to be very good at either delaying that final ball or making sure that late runner cannot have a cutback. Declan Rice is phenomenal at that. Uh, Fabinho yeah. was phenomenal at that. He was, uh, yeah. I, I think what's quite interesting now, we talk about the, the defensive midfield so, you know, shortage. Tottenham mm. Hotspur, either through accent or, or design, have two very good young defensive midfielders in Basuma and Bentacor. Um, and it looked as if Manchester United had someone who could solve that problem for a little bit in Casemiro, but it's become very apparent that they will probably either this summer, the summer coming in 2024, or the summer next summer, will need to get another defensive midfielder. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, well, you can join. You can join us in the uh, <laughs> in the, uh, the the saga for looking for that guy because yeah, it's um, a very underrated. I mean, the, the position is not directed anymore, but the, that that particular skill that you're talking about there, I think, uh, even despite where Liverpool find themselves on the table right now, I don't think that has necessarily necessarily done a great job at stopping those uh, those cutbacks. Or if they have, it's been one of the eights who's. Uh, uh, you know, busted the gut to get back there and is doing a job, but is, uh, you know, probably, probably would like not to do that. Um, I, I suppose then, I mean, well into the season, then, uh, we were speaking the day after United have, you know, um, exited the Champions League, exited Europe, um, uh, having, I think it was a pretty disastrous, obviously, performance in the group. Um, you, you talk, it's pretty fitting, right? We've talked about how open the side has looked at times and, up until last night, which I thought was a probably more compact, more disciplined display for them when they needed to win. Um, the group has been like that, right? The teams in the uh, teams in Europe who more often than not in the Champions League are all very good and back themselves to attack no matter what league they come from. They're usually used to being the best teams in those leagues. They will attack you. Uh, I've been amazed, I think, at how much space they have been afforded uh, in these games. Um, just give me your thoughts. I mean, we could talk about the Premier League in a bit, but your your thoughts on um, 
adopting that approach to the Champions League? And do you think it's, you've suggested so far, right? Is it, is it because there's this realization actually they don't have the players to enable them to play in which the way in which they, they were playing last season? Uh, they showed a more compact approach last night, right? But it did seem like it came at the expense of, uh, you know, creativity and attacking. Yes, missing lots of players as well. But there was a question in me last night. Well, well if you can play this way now, yeah, I, I understand it's a buy-in in third or fourth gear. Um, oh, sorry, not, not getting into those gears rather. But yeah, your your thoughts on Europe and 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 why you think uh, Ten Hag adopted that approach for the group stages, where you know, if you're just sensible and you know you two nil up, okay. Like let's make this ugly, you know, and just get get the result and leave. Um, we've seen that work time and time again. What, what, why do you think that he adopted that again? I know the Anana, <laughs> um, the Anana um, moments, but um, yeah, your so, thoughts on Europe? So the 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 old school adage is if if you want to get out of your European group, you know, mm. be it Champions League, Europa League, or Conference League, you win your home games and you draw your away games. Yeah, and I was in atten- I was in attendance for. Uh, Galatasaray at home, um, Copenhagen away, and Bayern Munich at home. So I was in attendance in the stadium for three games, and I covered the other three via the television. And, and something that struck me in the games I was in attendance for was the comments from the opposition managers. So when I was, uh, I spoke via translation to to Galatasaray's manager after the after their victory at Old Trafford, and he said. Very clearly, because you know we, we were two 0 down against Manchester United, but we we always knew we, we had a chance of of getting something in this game because Manchester United always leave uh, opportunities on the transition. Mm-hmm. And he said, when you play Manchester United, it's very very hard because we know Manchester United are so dangerous when they counter attack upon you. But the way in which they do that means they themselves are, are vulnerable to counter attacks. So the moment things went to two one, and the moment Casemiro got sent off, he he told his players, "You're in this. You you can win this game." And lo and behold, they went off and did that. Uh, I, I remember talking to to Nestrup in in Copenhagen, and he was interesting in that he he said, "You know, the circumstances around Rash's red card and 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 the turnaround from going from two 0 down to to winning four um, three, and the penalties w- was very interesting." And he said he believed that Copenhagen's performance against Manchester United was the worst performance they had had in the, in the group at that point in time. But he also maintained that he believed Copenhagen was the second best team in that group. He said if they played in a, in a certain manner, they'd get through this group in second place. He said part of the chaos of playing Manchester United means you, chaotic things happen when you play Manchester United because they, they want to play at such a quick, quick pace. Um, and this got repeated again from Thomas Tuchel. Tusha was asked yesterday, was it comfortable beating Manchester United? He goes, no, it's, he goes, it's never comfortable when you come to Old Trafford. They're, they're a very, very strong team in the transition. Uh, and what we had to do was make sure we did not leave ourselves too open when we went chasing a goal. Um, which is, and you've heard this also from Premier League managers. You know, we've just had Iriola, the Bournemouth manager, after the 3-0 say, when our game plan against Manchester United was, was to know there were, there were always going to be opportunities on the transition. Um, I also had Semenya in the, in the mix zone afterwards say the wide areas were, were a particular area. They said, we, we know Manchester United's fullbacks like to, to, to push high up the field. So we knew when we win the ball back or if we win the ball back, if we attack wide, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. Now, Bournemouth apparently can buy, play, can rival players for AC Milan, but I wouldn't say Bournemouth 
are going to be playing European football anytime soon. What I will say is there are a number of clubs, both in the Premier League and in Europe, that know when you play Manchester United, they're going to be very, very strong in a counter-attack. They encounter problems when you sit deep and don't allow space for, for, for the likes of Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rest to run in behind. And also, they lack uh, controllers. They, they, they lack players that, that want to slow things down or, or, or understand the appreciation of slowing things down, which means you can go 1-0 down against Manchester United, you can go 2-0 down against Manchester United, but if you stay the course and, and keep your head, there is always going to be an opportunity to score. And there also, less loudly, is going to be a chance Manchester United lose their head, giving up more opportunities as well. Now, that's the really concerning thing for Manchester United. And every time I've asked Eric Ten Hag about their propensity to, to concede goals in five, you know, multiple goals in five minute spells or their red cards or their penalties. He, he, he's given me the words to the effect of, I'm aware of this and we need to do better via discipline. But he's never really given me anything too definitive on how he hopes to address this. Yeah. No, no, I mean, because again, it's obviously differences, but I'm struck by the similarities I've seen across Liverpool teams over the past few seasons when that balance hasn't quite been right. And, um, yeah, games at Anfield or whatever, we're just thinking, like, why, like, why are Fulham not stopping? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, it's like 2 0, come on, it's cold. Just like, like, yeah, yeah that, that sort of arrogant belief, like, come on, just like, give, make it an easy one. And it, and it, it is it's partly because they can see, you know, players are intelligent, they can see, like, they figure things out and go, actually, there's some, there's some gaps for us here to try and exploit coaches. Are noticing the same, uh, and then once that's understood, as you said, by one or two teams, uh, you say Tottenham figuring it out quite early on. Yeah, it's being shared across, right? I mean, like it's when, when teams know they can get at you, there's a way back in. You're, you know, as the team that's suffering from that, you have to work for 95, well, not not 95 anymore, 110, 115 minutes because you can't rest because you can't really control it, and other teams know you can't control it. So it's as imagine the stress levels as well must be ratcheted up as well. Something, uh, a football quote that sticks in my mind was um, when Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia in, in the 2022 oh, yeah. World Cup. Um, and a member of the Argentinian team um, said, the reason we lost against Saudi Arabia is that we were trying to score the second and third goal before oh. we scored the first. In that they they had gotten a state where they were, they were so excited to play against this high line that Saudi Arabia were playing that they couldn't control themselves and then they lost their heads and in not sticking to the plan outlined beforehand, they left themselves vulnerable to what Saudi Arabia did. And mm. I was thinking of this quote after the draw, the three all draw against Galatasaray in Istanbul, where Scott McTominay said, um, we should have killed the game off. Uh, he goes, when we were three, one up, we should have killed the game off. We should have got one more and put it to bed. And you're shaking your head right now because if you talk, to, I think if you talk to, to, to a number of people outside Manchester United right now about you are 3-1 up in the second half of a Champions League game, how to kill the game off. I, if you'd ask 10, you know, coaches or 10 players who've played European football, you're 3-1 up, you're 3-1 up, second half, Champions League game, how to kill the game off. I don't think many would say score a fourth. No. I think a number of them will go, you, you, you put your foot on the ball. And you recycle possession for 10, 15 minutes. You make sure your goal, your, your goal kicks take 45 seconds <laughs> and you're slow to every throw. And yet this is, this, this is the, um, I'm rubbing my hands a lot trying to find the right word for it. 
this is the the interesting or concerning thing about Manchester United right now, in that they have they find it very 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 difficult to control games, and now they have they are trying to embrace chaos, but at the moment they keep succumbing or being overwhelmed by the chaos that they're trying to bring to games. Yeah, no, again, I think there's some similarities I can I can remember as well around that. Yeah, the, the best way to control a game is not to score the fourth; it's to be boring and. Oh, Liverpool, you know, they, they look a bit less energy in the, in, in the last 25, 30 minutes of games. Is it? Oh, yeah. It's because they figured out they don't need to do it. I mean, obviously, that was that thing. The, the, the peak Liverpool sides had mm-hmm. that understanding behind them. Uh, I suppose when, when the guy at United who should be aware of that is like having a, a late career flourish as an attacking midfielder, <laughs> he said with Casemiro's just wants to, you know, like finally had the handbrake off for a little bit. I guess it can become. Yeah, a bit of an issue there. Uh, uh, moving on from that, I mean, you, you've you've pointed out a couple of games there in the Premier League season that particularly like good illustrations of this. Um, it's yeah, you know, obviously I think the, the home form was something that was was made a lot of last season. It was a, a good foundation to to build off of for Fontaine for Ten Hag. That's you know obviously not been the same this season. Uh, are there particular games that you think back to in in the Premier League this season where you think or like perfectly illustrate like the 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 array of like scratching your head uh, like sort of questions around <laughs> this side both good and bad almost maybe you know like it's, it's even United's best performances this season in the Premier League have left me scratching your head scratching my head or unsatisfied to an extent so I went I went to Goodison Park I watched Manchester United win three ah. 0 Kobe Mainu got his Premier League starting debut uh, and. Uh, I should say Kobe, not Kobe. Um, and, <laughs> and I've had a number of non-Manchester United fans ask, why are you so excited about Manu? What, what, what is he doing that is so exciting? Uh, and I think what was really interesting was after that debut, um, Gary Neville said he played like a Manchester City player. And that was the highest compliment he could give him. In that he was, he was comfortable receiving the ball in the half turn. He was comfortable passing on the half turn. He, he had awareness of where to stand and what to do and, and how to look after the ball. And that has been so rare at Manchester United in the last 10 years that those are now traits that are stands out given yeah. to, to that, that stand out. Um, and this has happened in two or three plays. Andre Anana, his passing ability is, is just far and above and beyond what David Ayer could do. So two or three times at the start of the season where he would do something like, wow, like, you know, if you, if you only watch Manchester United week to week, you've never seen a, a goalkeeper do some of the things Andre Anana had done. It's a bit like watching a, to, to borrow something from Russo Wonga, watching an amphibian climb on land going, oh, look at you. You've gone out of the penalty area. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so that, so that was another thing. Um, the Everton performance was, was good for Manchester United because, because Manu put his foot on the ball. He had a pause. He, 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 he could receive on the half turn. He could, he could take it from from his centre backs, and even though he was being pressured, he could receive the ball, turn around, and drive with it, which is something that Christian Eriksen can't really do. That Casemiro struggles to do in the first phase. That Scott McTominay can't do. That Bruno Fernandez cannot do. And Fernandez, I, I know we've spoken previously about how you know Jordan Henderson cannot receive with his back to a defender yeah. well, so he often cheats by rather than receive it in the centre, he cheats by going out wide to do it. Bruno Fernandes' cheat is he'll do a back heel. 
I've seen, I've seen, yeah, a lot of these, yeah, little flick passes up the wall, and you yeah. just go, that's to clever, try, but to try and keep it going. Um, but Maynard just took it, received, and turned, and that was interesting, and that's why that performance was was good because United scored more than they won a game by more than they won a Premier League game by more than one goal. But also, Everton had an XG of about four <laughs> because even Manchester United's best performances still allow a ridiculous amount of chances. I'm talking to you right now and. Um, Manchester United have given up 237 shots on goal in the Premier League this season. That is the fifth worst. The only teams that have allowed more shots are Bournemouth, West Ham, Luton Town and Sheffield United. So Mm. teams that are in the bottom half or likely to be relegated. Um, So the, the Chelsea game, is being regarded by a number of United fans as being the best performance all season. Uh, Manchester United had their best front press all season. Now, part of that is because if you're pressing a team and the instruction is press the players on every heavy touch they have, if that team is Chelsea, you're going to get a couple more heavy touches. Unfortunately, Chelsea's build-up play is good theoretically, but they're, they're, they're prone to a bit of flat notes. So there was that going on. And even then, Chelsea still had a, a number of chances on, on, yeah. on United's goal as well. If Andre Nana is not the goalkeeper United fans expected, but also I think any Manchester, any goalkeeper right now would find it difficult playing for Manchester United because you're probably going to face six to eight shots on target per game. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I don't remember, I was chatting earlier in the season, I, I hadn't seen so much of Anana uh, previously. I was like, well, has, has he actually been used to facing this volume of shots because I mean, it's, it's not not primarily known for being a, I don't know, like a, a Mignolet or uh, a Pickford who, like, you, I remember when they were signed for, or well, they moved from uh, uh, Sunderland, uh, you know, his stats, these amazing mm-hmm. stats. Like, yeah, they face a lot of shots. They face a huge quantity of shots. So they're great shot stoppers. That's you know, what you know about them. They're, they're going to be consistent at that. Anana, I don't think that necessarily was used to doing that. Certainly not at some uh, inter in the same way, right? So, uh, yeah, it's interesting when you, when you talked about uh, Menu there, I was thinking about uh, just how much Cole Palmer stood out uh, for Chelsea so many times this season. Where oh, there's there's someone receiving the ball in the half turn and looking up and going, well, I could do that, but you know, two 0 up, 
and turning around and passing <laughs> it back. And you go, there, that's it. That's the thing. That's the thing that I, I, we see lots of Liverpool, well, not lots of Liverpool, but some Liverpool fans on, on some cor- corners of the internet uh, still don't seem to understand uh, what Curtis Jones has been told to do when he comes into the side. Is that That's what he's, he's been told to do that because it's sometimes useful to do that rather than, I don't know, what Gravenberg's doing, where he's like, oh, I can beat three men here and maybe, yeah, mm-hmm. set up a... So no, you don't need to do that. So uh, yeah, it's can I amazing say- when you... I must say, and I've said this before at the start of the season, I find it quite funny and I'm rather jealous that having supported Manchester United for however many years and watch United go year after year after year after year after year and not address their central midfield. It's quite funny to watch Liverpool address their central midfield in one summer. This, yeah. And, and the I, job is not complete. But in terms of, oh, we're going to buy, we're going to bring in more than one central midfielder in a summer. That is, that is, that is the United fans version of, you can do that. That's not illegal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know obviously that, that was the way in which it played out. I think, I think yeah, most fans agree that, that there probably is that first choice defensive um, role that still, still needs to be filled. And then, yeah, you, you start wondering to yourself what, what the likes of Sobberschlei, McAllister and, um, but can achieve when they when they don't have to look around and they can just rely on somebody there, um, preferably you know, Uruguayan or whatever, kicking people and, <laughs> and being in the right place. <laughs> uh, he, yeah, Ugarte obviously went to PSG, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I think uh, it, it, it was interesting, and I think the the, the most not- notable thing to me is just the the jump in technical ability has been remarkable. Like I think that at times you sometimes look at these players and go. Uh, it's not the smartest choice in the moment. Like you don't have to, I know it's your natural inclination is to go forward, maybe beat a couple of people, look for that um, piercing pass when you probably shouldn't. But yeah, the technical ability, I've been shocked. I mean, the, 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 the shop of is having a bit of a quiet a few weeks at the moment, but yeah, the jump there is pretty huge. And, and even Gravenberg is clearly a talented kid, which just feels weird to describe somebody who is twice my size as a, as a kid, um, but that's what he is. Um, coming out to the game, kind of conscious of time, like, um, w- one factor that I think, you know, I'm defending Ten Hag here. You can put your hand up legitimately and say is, uh, there are, you know, coming to this game at Anfield on the weekend, there's potentially 13 players that I can't call upon for injuries, for the reasons you talked about in terms of, you know, Sancho like, not being, not, not being available. Um, uh, Fernandez, you know, picked up that card in the last game, didn't he? So he's not going to be, um, available, um, to be at Anfield and be slagged off by Gary Neville for his attitude, um, <laughs> like things like that. So there's, you know, there's a lot of absences. So legitimately, I think that this weekend alone, uh, Tanag's hand is going to be forced. But I mean, just like, in terms of him trying to turn things around and, Build a side that or put out a side that resembles a bit more closely what he is trying to do anyway. I mean, just how hamstrung do you think he is at the moment? That's not, that's not <laughs> meant to be a pun about that, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's difficult now to, to go back to what I said about Ten Hag saying he wanted to make Manchester United the best transition team in the world. That made sense when he first said it. 
so you said this in preseason, and, and I'm look at United squad at the time. And you said your, your best players last season were Luke Shaw, Lissandra Martinez, Casemiro, Bruno Fernandez, Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford very very good on checking transition. Bruno Fernandez very very good on the checking transition. Bruno Fernandez is a very orthodox player because he he puts uh, ball progression above ball retention, which um, most number tens or century midfielders don't do anything. Casemiro is playing very, very good on the transition because he's a great counter presser. Luke Shaw, very, very good ball progressor in, in this, in the first and second phases. Uh, Lissandro Martinez, very, very good passing and build up play. So it made sense that Martin, that, uh, Ten Hag went, these players are all very, very good on the transition. If I just supplement them with other players, we can be very good in the attacking transition. Now, it was always a question of, would he make United better on the defensive transition? And that seemed to be a question of, could he make United a better pressing thing? More than one manager's come in and said he wants United to press. I mean, Louis van Gaal seemed like he wanted United to press for a little bit and then relented. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, when he took over from Jose Mourinho, um, got United to play higher up the field and, and get more turnovers and then relented eventually. Ralph Rangnick is regarded as the godfather of Geigen pressing. And I think there was one game against Crystal Palace where Fred got a goal and then it quickly became apparent that the players did not have the appetite for pressing. So he relented as well. Ten Hag seemed, Ten Hag's Ajax team pressed very, very well. Uh, and it was a good counter-pressing team as well. You know, a player like Frankie de Jong doesn't seem like a great presser, but if, if you put him in a team where everyone else can press, oh, all of a sudden it's good. Um, now the question was, could you make a good pressing team with Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford in your front four? And the question, and that was one of those questions where you go, yes, but dot, 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 dot. The other two members of your front four need to have certain attributes. Anthony, ah. the amount of money spent on him, it seems to be, it seems to be a lock on the right hand side. And Anthony, while he has his many, many flaws and I'm not a particular fan of him, has an aptitude for defensive work. He tracks back and he has a very yeah. good understanding of what Eric Ten Hag wants. And he seems to have that position of lockdown for him. Rasmus Hoyland, all quick, good aptitude for, for pressing. So that made sense. But what we've seen is this, this counter pressing unit doesn't work anymore. Part of this is due to Casemiro's diminished output. And part of this is, is due to, I want to say outright naivete. Players not realizing when they're, when they're being taken for a walk in their 1v1 marking duties. James Madison in the second half against Son Hotspur cottoned on that Casemiro's man marking went, okay, well, I'm just going to receive the ball really deep and create loads of space for Saar mm-hmm. to enter. Um, now when that happens, do you as a player continue to man mark or do you go, I'm switching? That's yeah. difficult. And I can't, I can't tell you if, if, if Ten Hag's telling his players to stick to their man marking duties or to, if giving them license there. So that's the concern. And the concern here, I mean, Manchester United lost 7-0 to Liverpool last season because they tried marking man to man. And the, the game plan was master your 1v1 physical duels. And after playing a ridiculous amount of games in a very short space of time, they were exhausted before they played Liverpool. And Liverpool, even in their diminished capacity last season, strong, quick, very dominant in their 1v1 duels. So they, they absolutely monstered Manchester United in the 1v1 duels. They caught up past the first line of pressure. And on top of that, the, you know, some days 
you have a good scoring streak. Everything Gapo touch turned to gold. Everything Nunez oh. touch turned to gold. I think the, the XG is somewhere close to three or somewhere close to four when you scored seven times. <laughs> um, yeah. So the concern for United is not only do they not have the players to play uh, a, a similar game plan they did against Liverpool, which you lost 7-0, but also the alternatives are limited. No Bruno Fernandes in number 10. Do you play Donny van der Beek? Do you play Hannibal? Do you play Scott Montgomery in that position? Yeah. Just remind um, me how many minutes how many minutes has Donny van der Beek played this season? You were, you were telling me I was shocked to hear, yeah, to hear that. Three. It's, so it's, it's some... Three. Donny's game. If Donny does end up on that team sheet on the weekend, I mean, some... Some hospital pass from from, uh, from a manager. Oh, hey, hey, Donny. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and this man, you know, Ten Hag says it's not man marking. It's, it's meant to be zonal, but it looks like man marking because the pressure from your front four, your front six, hasn't been adequate. So it looks yeah. like you're man marking midfield, which is not lining up with what I'm seeing. Uh, yeah, and, and and the problem is you're seeing you're, Ten Hag is saying a number of things that isn't like what you're seeing. You know, Rafa Varane wasn't starting because Ten Hag viewed him as only an option for right centre back, and then he hmm. played left centre back against last Miami. night. Right? Yeah, odd. Um, Maguire's injured now. Of course, Shaw picked up mm-hmm. something last night. Although those two have actually been um, like you know better performers um, this season. I say certainly since Maguire came back to the team. Um, we have this thing, we have this, obviously this, uh, uh, probably back and forth around Scott McTominay. And, and just my opinion on Scott McTominay is that when he is this integral to what you are doing as a side, that is an issue. That's probably a sign that something else is not working. I, I get what he's good at and I get what he's not good at and what he's good at. He can, yeah, he can be, he can be, can be he can prove effective, but the extent to which so much, so much seems to be going through him right now. Um, it, I wouldn't even say so it's, kind of it's not going through him. No, but it's he's going he's the, to feed yeah. him. Yeah, he's the tip of the diamond. Yes, well, like yes. So he's ways, working right? as this free eight, and he, he's given license to, to to get ahead of the ball and, and to make later runs into the box. So much so that sometimes he's cannibalizing the runs of Hoyland, and due to his deficiencies in possession. He contributes very little in possession into when United's build-up plays. He is there to punctuate things, not to not to contribute. Um, and like you say, this is a tactic that would make sense if you were a team of Crystal Palace's level. Yeah, I don't think this is a realistic. I think in building your team around one player, like Scott McTominay, in this manner, you you put a harsh ceiling. What Manchester United can achieve this season. However, at a time when no other forwards are scoring from Manchester United, what else do you have? Yeah, I suppose it'd be like just like the, ask you then. I mean, the, the, this weekend we might see quite a strange lineup. You say like the, the likes of Donny Van Der Beek being discussed. Uh, Hannibal, I, uh, I, I heard, was obviously being discussed in, in defence. Am I am I right in thinking that it has to be Evans? Uh, to start, if it was Lindelof's gone, Maguire. Victor, Lind- Victor Lindelof is of a undisclosed status, ah, okay. uh, so it could, so he he could he could make training on Friday. But as far as we know, he's he he didn't train or feature against Bayern Munich. Uh, Harry Maguire seems to have a groin complaint. Luke Shaw seems to have a hamstring complaint. Um, right. So the in all likelihood, it will be Johnny Evans left centre back and Rafa Varane right centre back. Which I mean. 
if I'm going to be very generous, I'll say both of those players have Champions League medals. They do, yeah, yeah. That's I think that's I think that's probably the best thing to to say in this in, in this in this situation. Like very well, very well uh, handled. Um, I, I, I suppose then, yeah, ex, beyond hey, this. Well, game, I'd like I to think. flip this on to you. Um, you know, as a Liverpool mm. expert, one thing you've got right now is you've got many many options, both both in your starting lineup and, and on the bench. You, you yeah. got that late victory over Crystal Palace in part because of those changes with with Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott coming on. Yeah, when you're up against an opponent like United, that well, I mean, what I would do to the starting lineup is going to be was probably different to what Ten Hag would do. But when you're up against an opponent like United, that are probably going to be strongest in those transitional moments and are likely to play man to man. The the front three, one of those players is going to be Mohamed Salah. Darwin Nunez probably looks like a good option, given to what happened last time at Anfield. <laughs> And then it'll be Diaz is a locker, I okay. think, at the moment. No, not because he's playing particularly well. He's not playing particularly well. But I think, um, and he's obviously been through horrendous, horrendous things like over the past few months um, alone. But uh, there's no one well, on the left side. Not many options that. Well, if you want pace, you know, <laughs> I think even in bad form, Diaz is going to offer. Like, I think what you're talking about with with Anthony, right? It's quick. And will work hard. Understands the the, the job in that, in that sense. The productivity has not been there. Um, yeah, if you ask me about sort of like what would I do with Liverpool side, I think United are sort of a interesting opponent, right? You could probably go more aggressive than I would want us to do. I think the, for me, uh, well, McAllister won't be won't be available for this game. So imagine Endo. Uh, may may start again, um, given his age, given what the other eights tend to like to do. Um, I would like Curtis Jones to come in um, just because he is one that we were talking about, like Mayno, who I thought understands, ah, I'm going to give that guy some support. I'll let Trent, who is wherever, and Shabaslai, um, they do their thing. Like I'm going to sit back a little bit just to guard against what you're talking about, that transition not let a 30 year old like have to do that on his own. Um, so I think that would be the big, the big change I'd make. Uh, Elliot, I, I'm really enjoying these cameos that he's, he's having. I don't think he's a midfielder still, which is kind of interesting. Well, a Klopp midfielder still. Mm-hmm. Um, but in these cameos where he can come on, have a free role and just focus on like what's the most incisive directing I can do. He's, he's effective. He's, yeah, he's, his big thing this is last season was, wasn't really getting numbers at all. Um, so he's already, I think, doubled what he had last season. So, uh, yeah, I'd say that's the change. Um, for Liverpool, I think the concern more actually at the moment is Matip, probably that's mm-hmm. the last we've seen of him in a Liverpool shirt, unfortunately. So it's a sad way for, well, I don't imagine his career, um, his, uh, contract's going to be extended. Although there's been some suggestions the club will let him do the rehab on the on the books anyway. So but then you got Kanate, who I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Kanate cannot play more than one game a week uh, mm. uh at the moment, which we have discovered, which is nice. Um and Joe Gomez has documented uh injury <laughs> issues in the past, but is playing well this season, uh, but is having to play a lot of games. So I'm, Unhappy to see both their names on the flight uh, going out uh, for the fixture tomorrow evening, but 
there's no one else. And Van Dyke is getting a rest tomorrow evening, but is unlikely to get a rest for the mm-hmm. rest of the season. So I think that's the bit of the concern for Liverpool is that it wouldn't take much for them suddenly to be down to Kwanzaa, who's a kid who hasn't really proved he can play that much football whilst being good when he has played, and Virgil um, as your as your two options for the centre-backs. I think that's the concern, but hopefully won't be a concern this weekend. Um, so, yeah, I, I, whenever we come to the wrap-up on these on these chats, I, I tend to ask you what you what you think of Liverpool at the moment. Um, and but say I'm not going to rub the, the top of the league thing in because it will change within a matter of minutes <laughs> once the games start. And I'm surprised where Liverpool are uh, at, the, at the moment. But yeah, your thoughts on on Liverpool, I suppose, ahead of the weekend's game, and then yeah, we'll we'll talk about expectations for the season and wrap wrap these things I'm up. I'm impressed by this Liverpool 2.0. Uh, before the season started, I, I had them finishing third in the league. Uh, right. As so I said, I said City won. Arsenal two, I said Liverpool three, I said Liverpool, yeah. the gap between Liverpool and Arsenal was four points was my, I said the gap would be very, very close between those two teams. I also said Liverpool would be the, the top scorers in the league um, in that I can see Liverpool score many goals. I also can't see Liverpool keeping many clean sheets. Uh, and and what has transpired has been a, a large pretty much, pretty much in, in that yeah. they're fantastic entertainers. The, yeah. the, the, men, the mentality monsters have continued forward. I am still hesitant to call Trent Alexander-Arnold a midfielder. Uh, I I much prefer it when he starts at right back and inverts into midfield than when he oh, starts do. in midfield. I, I, I'm not keen on him starting midfield. And I'm saying this uh, not as a Manchester United fan, but as someone who covered England over the Euros. And uh, whenever whenever I watch Trent, I am watching it with one one of my eyes is is going, what is Southgate thinking? Uh, and I, I much prefer Trent starting at right back and pushing inside rather than starting in midfield. However, I am uh, more than willing to admit I will be wrong. I will be proved wrong about this. You know, I think Trent will eventually become a, a midfielder of some yeah. sort, probably a box to box. Doesn't look like he wants to defend much any any more. To say like it's, um, I, I, be great if he did go outside of Salah once, once or twice. It, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's. it's is able to cross the ball and there is very good at it. guy Darwin. There is that guy Darwin who could probably, um, well, probably miss a couple, but yeah, it's score, it's score a few. So, uh, Darwin yeah, is I interesting think, to me in that, I mean, I think it's eight big chances missed this season so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I missed the last six out of the last eight he's missed, I think, as well, six or nine or whatever. I, I, I have him on fantasy football team. It's painful. Right it's, yeah, it's hard, it's hard for me as well. Uh, I've done, I am I've done that. considering selling him this weekend and bringing in <laughs> Dominic Solanke after what happened last week because ah. Bournemouth have Luton. Uh, but also, I, in terms of how much faith I have in Manchester United right now, I might keep him for one extra week. It could be the game. Yeah, it this, could be the game. It, it, it could be the game. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure what I'm saying here must sound like sacrilegious. Uh, Liverpool are a lot of fun. I, I'm 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 loving the myriad of options they've got in central midfield, and, and I, for some reason they play at twelve thirty quite often, which means um, <laughs> even though I'm 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 often you know travelling around the place watching Manchester United, I do often get to watch them on television before I start my shift. So it's a nice advantage. They're, they're, they're a pleasant watch, and, and yeah. I think they're going to be in, in the top three come the end of the season. 
Yeah, we're doing it for you. We're doing it for people before they start their shift. I'm sure that's sure that's the reason why, uh, and also the reason why uh, Newcastle happened to be on uh, in the evenings uh, on Sunday. I just make speculation. I have no idea why, but um, yeah. Anyway, I think I think that's plenty. I won't, I won't ask you for your expectations <laughs> for the the season ahead because it's, yeah, I think you've given us more than enough uh, information on what that could potentially look like. Uh, so um, yeah, just wanted to. Thank you as always for coming on, Carl, and like sharing all the insight as as ever. Um, uh, yeah, it always seems to be a cathartic chat. Uh, I think it will <laughs> will will be that way until the off the pitch um, issues are rectified. We didn't even talk about those, but that, those are obviously bubbling away as as well. But um, yeah, thanks as ever for um, for coming on. Is there anything that you you think uh, the listeners should, should check out from from you ahead of the fixture or? So on Friday, uh, I'll have a piece on The Athletic where I try and come up with what I think is a good plan to go against Liverpool. Not what I think Ten Hag will do, but what I think is a good plan. Uh, and uh, the difficulty I'm having right now is is I can't come up with a cohesive pressing system or out-of-possession system that one can invent between now and Sunday. That's more advanced than man-to-man, which... It's concerned that's going to play right into Liverpool's hands. And I think that's going to be the big thing. What does Sen Hong do out of possession? Because you only have a limited amount of time to, to flip things. Um, also on Saturday, if, if everything goes well for me tomorrow, that means on Saturday, I'll have a piece on Andre Onana's shot stopping technique. Uh, oh. I had a, had a fantastic conversation with Sasha of Totally Football fame, uh, who, who is very good at talking about goalkeepers and is a Liverpool fan as well. And he's been explaining to me a little bit about Onana's odd technique when he, when he goes to, to save shots, which could could be very, very pivotal before this fixture. Um, and other than that, uh, every now and again, you can find me on Wrighty's House, which is part of the, the Stadio Connected Universe on Spotify. Um, so that's me, myself, Ian Wright, Myra Quadri, Jeanette Quache, Floyd, Lloyd Hughes, Musa Wonga, and Ryan Hunt talking about all manner of football and things as well. And also... Um, yeah, if you want any other writings of me, you can find me on The Athletic. I don't just write about Manchester United every single week. I've got Ajax reads and AFCON reads coming soon too. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, biased, clearly biased, but yeah, but obviously recommend uh, all the listeners do check out Carl's uh, yeah, many different uh, pieces on many different topics. Um, so yeah, thanks as always for coming on. And um, yeah, just to do the, the wrap up, I mean, for those who have been listening to uh, the pod uh, this season, Rivalry Con. There are a lot of these uh, this this month is particularly. It's you know the football is working hard, but it's really hard for us. Um, and that's you know, in the content game. That's clearly the harder, <laughs> the harder, the harder shift. And there's more coming. There'll be one ahead of the West Ham game, one ahead of that game against Arsenal, which is very important for me personally, family wise. Um, it's, it's a high, uh, it's a high stakes match, and we've invited people around to the same. Same living room to watch that game, so we'll see. We'll see how that ends up. Uh, I might for come us. to your living room for this for this yes. game because I'm. There I'm might... going to try. I, I'm. I'll be through on Boxing Day, so I might actually come round. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I, I might have to tone down the mulled wine that's uh, that's, <laughs> that's that's going around like uh, men of a certain age. Um, yeah, so do tune in for those, and there'll be a Burnley one in there somewhere as well. But uh, yeah, between now and then, check out all the other great um, the content on Anfield Index Pro. And yeah, we'll see you ahead of uh, the game against West Ham and yeah, maybe Arsenal as well. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. 
there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.